You know, we're in this, so we're in this 40 days to Easter season and the first week that we launched into this season, we started talking about prayer because we're, we're consecrating ourselves, we're praying, we're, we're, we're doing, um, we're, we're, we're embracing this life of, um, of what God is trying to do in our church where we're willing to not treat our lives as business as usual. We're actually wanting to ask God to be involved in everything that we do and everything that we are and we're asking him to give us grace for what we're facing and, and then we want breakthrough in our lives and, and I think there's some ways that you do that. In the first week we started talking about this, we started talking about praying the scripture. Do you remember this? Pray the scripture. When you pray the scripture, you get a better vocabulary for prayer. If you don't know what to pray, read the Bible and pray the Bible right? And, and we talked about how people are stuck on their own little phrases. They don't know how to pray for somebody because they don't have a vocabulary prayer. I want you to read the scriptures every day. There's this little idea called the daily Bible reading. I don't know if you've ever heard about it, but it's really good. You can check it out on, our, on, our, on the website, onechapel.com. Check it out there. We want you to read the Bible every day and get it into you. The second week, we started talking about praying in the name of Jesus. Praying in the name of Jesus. Praying in the name of Jesus is not just a nice ending to a prayer. It's actually an authority that comes into your life that's not from you, but that's from God. That you can pray in his authority and that has implications for what happens here on earth. And it's so powerful. Then the third week we talked about praying in the Holy Spirit. Pray in the Holy Spirit. That simply means under the direction and under the influence of the Holy Spirit who lives in you. The Holy Spirit came to dwell in you the day you invited Jesus into your life. That's, you were, it's called being born again. You were born into, uh, in a way spiritually and God began to work deep on the inside of you. He made you brand new and then you're spending your life kind of letting him work his way out into your habits and into your life pattern and that's the Holy Spirit that does that. And so when you understand that you have a comforter and a counselor and a friend, an advocate that's helping you pray, then your prayer life changes. We also talked about a prayer language that God wants you to be released in, that you can pray the will of God from inside your soul because the Holy Spirit lives in you. And then today we're going to talk about praying together. Everybody say together. together. Say it one more time. Say together. together. We're praying together. Now, I don't know about you, but praying together has so many weird implications. Like, I, I, I think most people like to pray by themselves. They don't literally like to pray with other people. Um, there's a, there's a, a thing that has happened in my life with Amy. Um, we've been married 31 years in July. 31 years. And it's so, it's so amazing. I keep learning new stuff about her. She keeps doing, learning new stuff about me. But one of the things that I've learned is when, and I don't know what it is about men, but they don't, they don't often lead their family or their spouse in prayer. Sometimes it's, a lot of times it's the women that lead in the prayer thing, right? And so I've learned through the years, I, I don't know what it is we sh when Amy says, you know, we should pray. Okay, yeah, let's pray. 
but, I, but, I, but I, that sort of sounds resistant, right? Like, I'm not sure I really want to, and that is the way that I've, that I've acted from time to time throughout our marriage. But I've learned that when she, whenever she says, hey, let's pray, that I immediately bow my head and say, Lord, we just thank you for what you're doing right now. I just start praying. Hey, we should pray. Lord, thank you for all you're doing right here. With it. And I just start praying. And it has, it has totally reoriented our entire prayer life together. And, uh, and, and the thing that I think we all need to do, in, if, we're, if, we're, if we're married or not, is we need to learn to pray together. Now, married couples don't pray together very well, very often. Though That's statistically true. And the reason that people don't like to pray together, especially married couples, is it's the most vulnerable thing that you can do with another person. It's very vulnerable. It's very open. I know people think that sex is the most vulnerable thing, the most intimate thing you can do. It's not true. It's not true. Prayer is the most vulnerable thing you can enter into with another person. And one of the things that's, that we're doing together during these 40 days is we're trying to pray uh, three times a day and we're trying to pray for others and with others. And so we're doing this prayer Zoom room. How many of you have come to the prayer Zoom room? Huh? How many people? Okay, that is awesome. All you nine o'clock people. That is so good. Now listen, the, the, the prayer, the Zoom prayer room has been so good. I've been shocked at how enjoyable it has been. And then we do these things every couple of days, we'll do something called breakouts and we'll break out into smaller groups of people, four and five or six people just praying together and you can be more personal and you can share together. Well, every time we do that, about 15 to 20% of the people just drop off. They're like, I, I, I'm not ready. <laughs> it's 6.45, I, 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 I'm not to, I can't get myself together. And that's really the honest truth. There's something that is a barrier to praying with other people. There's something that causes us to hesitate, to pull back. And you guys, we can't let that be our norm. If we're going to be the kind of people that change the culture around us, that influence other people, we're going to have to get, make our peace with becoming vulnerable with a group of people. And there is, there's something more, so bonding, something so, uh, so in, engaging, something so connecting when you engage with others in prayer. And I want you to understand this. I want you to embrace it. Uh, this, in fact, one of these mornings, this Thursday morning, we didn't do breakouts this morning, uh, but we actually created a word cloud. Do you guys know what a word cloud is? They, they, we, we asked this question, what is God doing? Your, name three things that God is doing in your life. What, three, three things, three words that describe what God is doing in you over these 40 days. And it was so cool to see. These are all the people that we did this survey and, they, and, and every person gave three words and these are all the words. And most people said peace. The bigger the word, the more people said it, right? And so it get peace. God is giving us peace in these 40 days. He's creating connection with us in these 40 days. He's building faith in these 40 days. He's, he's working patience into our lives. You don't even have to pray about it. He will work patient in, patience into your life. Uh, reliance, humility, uh, perseverance, healing, deepening. You can see it. There's, there's a strengthening happening. You guys don't miss it. 
Do you know we still have two weeks of early morning prayer? And you can join us. Like it's not too late. Like, like, like that's what I love about 40 days. Like 40 days is like this season where you're like, oh, I can fall off the wagon and get back on again. And so if you've fallen off the prayer wagon or if you've dismissed early morning prayer as something you just don't even want to get in touch with, think about it, pray about it. Come with us these last two weeks. Engage with us. We're, we're doing something called 200 Tuesdays over the next two weeks. That means on Tuesday. If you don't come any other day this week, once you come on Tuesday, who's with me? Who's gonna come on Tuesday? Come on, come on, raise your hand. Who's gonna come on Tuesday? Oh, you guys are so resistant. It's okay, it's okay. God will convict you and then you'll join us. You don't have to come because I say it, just come because it's good for you, all right? So it's one, praying together is one of the most intimate things that we do. It's one of the most powerful things that we do and we learn from Jesus how this works. In John 17, and you can go there with me or you can use your message notes. It's on the QR code. You can just scan that and it'll take you right there. But John 17, 20 through 23, Jesus is praying for his disciples. He's praying during the whole chapter. He's coming to the end of his time on earth. He's about to go to the cross and he's praying for his disciples. And he wants them to be bonded and unified together. And so he prays in verse 20, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Oh, that's you and me. That Jesus is praying for you and me right here. He's praying for me, for me, for you. For those who will believe in me through their message. That all of them may be, what's that word right there? That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in, a, I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have a little cough today, so from time to time it's gonna be a a little difficult thing. Talk amongst yourselves. (laughs) I want you to see here that he gives a reason for being one, for being unified. It has strategic implications. That being one releases something in the world. He said, so that the world will believe that you sent me. Unity and oneness has an implication in our world. Verse 22 says, I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. I want you to see that this is one chapel's verse. This is our namesake verse. This is the verse that God spoke to me about 13 years ago when I was contemplating planting a church and I saw it and I heard it. It was like one chapel. It just lived in my heart and my mind that if we will be one, if we can understand how to connect together in a way that is truly spiritual, truly relational, truly meaningful and honest and vulnerable, that we will see Jesus do something profound that then has implications outside of this church. And so I I want you to see that that's what God has in mind for you and me. And I love this little last 
last phrase. Put that back up there, that last verse there, Thomas. It says, it says uh, I and them and you and me so that you may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me. Can you put it back up there, Thomas? Oh, did we lose the, I lost my confidence monitor. Good thing I don't need the monitor for confidence. You sent me and have, check this out, love them even as you have loved me. You guys, you are loved just like Jesus. You are loved as much as God loves Jesus. God doesn't love Jesus any more than he loves you. What? Doesn't God know me at all? (laughs) No, he loves you just as much as he loves Jesus. That same love he has for Jesus, he has for you. This is incredible. The Apostle Paul had the same thing in mind when he wrote to the church in Corinth. Check out what it says, 1 Corinthians 1.10. It says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree. It's been a hard thing to do over the last three years, hasn't it? That all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there will be no divisions among you but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. I'm pretty convinced that if you don't understand how much you're loved by God, that you're not gonna enter into unity with others very easily. Because love is this, love is this backdrop, this context. Love is this thing that allows you to be secure in who you are and allows you then to flow God's love out of you and into others. But if you're not sure about who you are, if you're not convinced of God's love for you, you won't be convinced of your need to love other people. And so Paul the apostle here is talking to this church in Corinth because they're fighting with each other. He's appealing them, uh, appealing to them, no divisions, no factions, no discord, no separation, perfectly united in mind and thought. What is that? How do you get perfectly united in Mind and thought. Paul, the apostle, is saying he wants us to mind meld with each other. Live long and prosper. Some of you don't know what mind melding is. You just have to watch Star Trek. So, so you got you to gotta see that this is not just a spiritual idea or an emotional concept, but something very practical that Paul and Jesus are talking about. In fact... I want to go back now and give you some backdrop, all right? How does this this really work? I want to give you some Old Testament background background about unity and agreement and how powerful it is. In Genesis 11, there's the story of the Tower of Babel, and I just want to read this portion to you. It says, now the whole world had one language and common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly they had this new technology called the brick. And so they were, they were working with bricks and they came up with this thing. They used the brick instead of stone and tar for mortar and then they said, come let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building and the Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, 
then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. These people were not serving God. They were fighting God. They were trying to build a name for themselves. This is post-flood. Noah and the flood has already come and gone and this is a, a, a people inhabiting the earth and they're, they're, they have one language and they're all spread out and, they're, and they're, not, they're not trying to please God. They're trying to build a name for themselves. And what this scripture says is that the power of unity and agreement is so strong if you get it because of who you are as God's creation God created you this way that there is a powerful powerful uh, dynamic between you that you can accomplish anything so God knows what they're trying to do God knows they're they're going to make more trouble. He knows they're all about themselves. So verse seven says, come let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from from there all over all the earth and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel because the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. Just for those of you who understand Acts chapter two and the prayer, um, the, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. That was, the, uh, lot, a lot of Bible scholars take these two events and say God se- separated the languages, right? And scattered them and then he kind of redeemed that and Acts two and poured out his spirit so that every language would hear the gospel. It's kind of a cool intersection of what God is trying to do with agreement and unity. I want you to see it again in Ephesians 4, three through six. The apostle Paul urges God's people to keep this unity. Ephesians 4, three through six says, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all. You guys, make every effort. What is this? Make every effort. Do you think that you have made every effort to protect the spirit of unity in the bond of peace? Do you think this is something we think about routinely? I don't think so. We go on with our individual lives. We are not, we are not working towards coming together as a group of people with our time and our energy and our effort. Now, those of you who lead groups, you understand this. Those of you who are on a team, you understand how, how, how significant it is. But if you're not on a team, you're not in a group. You're kind of just out here floating, sh- showing up at service every once in a while, maybe interacting with some, intersecting with some friends from time to time. You don't understand how significant this is that there is some power that you're missing. There is a, a, a blessing that you're not getting because you're not entering into unity and agreement with your brothers and sisters in a way that accomplishes God's purpose and his kingdom calling in your life. Make every effort. This, this word, this phrase right here means to make haste, to give diligence, to hasten, to eat, be eager, to be zealous. Now, if you look at this scripture, you see that there's a whole bunch of ones. Did you notice this? Did you notice this? Look at it. It says, one hope, sorry, one body, one spirit, 
one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all who is over all and through all and in all. Seven ones that define us as God's people. What is the Apostle Paul saying here that's so important? He knows that a ragtag group of believers here in Ephesus, this little city, Jews and Gentiles coming together and they don't have the same context. They don't have the same background. They've got different social strata in this church. There's all kinds of people who are struggling to to work together. And he names these seven ones, but there's one missing that you and I need to remember. One one that's missing here that really once you settle it, it makes every all the other ones possible. And here it is. We need to understand that we have one enemy. One enemy. Everybody say it. One enemy. John 10.10 says the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus said, I've come that you might have life. Listen, the devil is a divider. He wants to divide you. He wants to divide you in your family. He wants to divide you in your church. He wants to divide at work. He wants to divide at school. He wants to create fights. He wants to create disagreement and disunity. He is the author of everything that is disunity, everything that is disagreeable. Now listen, it's not that disagreement can't be overcome. I think it can. Some of you are leading a small group right now and you know that you have some conversations as you're going through the scriptures where you maybe have some disagreements, but that's okay. If you understand you have one enemy, you can love each other through that disagreement. If you don't understand that you have one enemy, that you think somebody in your group's an enemy, somebody at work's an enemy, somebody at your school's the enemy, somebody who is on the alternative, uh, alternative political party that you love, that's your enemy. If you think in these terms, you will miss what God is trying to do in the body of Christ. The Greek word for devil is actually diablos and it shares a root word with a, a, a verb called diablin and it means to split. It means to split. The devil is a splitter, a divider, a wedge driver. He divided Adam and Eve at the beginning in the Garden of Edom. He divided them from God and he wants to divide you and me from each other and from God. You guys, we have to pray together. The devil's primary goal is division, divisiveness, disunity, and disconnectedness. You know, you think about things that are bad in our culture. Racism is sinful and and despicable, it is. But it causes division, which is why it's so useful as a tool of the devil. Gossip is sinful, it's wrong, but it creates disunity, that's why it's so hurtful. Trauma is destructive to a person's soul, but disconnectedness and separation is is the result of it, and that's what's so damaging long term. Are you guys with me? Hear me, one chapel. We are not each other's enemy. We have one enemy, it's not each other. We are friends, we are partners, we are brothers, we are sisters. We have a powerful partnership that is bonded and unified through prayer if we will pray together. Why Jesus focuses our attention here in Matthew 18 is is we start to see it you start to realize he's working through any disagreement and any 
sin or offense. Matthew 18, verse 15, he says, if a fellow believer hurts you, go and tell him. Work it out between the two of you. If he listens, you've made a friend. If he won't listen, take one or two others along so that the presence of witnesses will keep things honest and try again. If he still won't listen, tell the church. If he won't listen to the church, you'll have to start over from scratch, confront him with the need for repentance and offer again God's forgiving love. Now, I read this through the Message Bible. It's a Eugene Peterson translation. Uh, and it's, and it's, it kind of breaks it down more simply as we see it. But there's an order to working things out when you have a, a disagreement with another person. And so many times we don't follow this. So I just want to highlight it really quick before we end here. Number one, it says, go talk to the person if you have an offense or if you, have, if you think they're caught in a sin. If something is sinful going on, go talk to them about it. How many of you have gone and talked to somebody about their sinful habit this week? Not many. That's the problem. Oh, that's not my job. Who, like, who am I? <laughs> who am I to go talk to somebody? <laughs> I mean, I'm just, you know, I live and let live. I just, I got many, I got my own problems. I can't. You guys, we're called together to help each other. You can go talk about something that's, that, that has, uh, is hurtful to you or has, has been difficult for you or you see that they're having difficulty. Be interested. Be considerate in the way you go, but you gotta go. Be kind in the words you use. Don't be judgmental and mean, but you gotta ask. Hey, I've noticed. It, looks, it seems like you're having a struggle. Tell me about it. Don't gossip to your prayer group. Don't tattle to the pastor. Everybody wants me to fix it. I can't fix it. <laughs> Go and have a conversation with them and tell them you love them and you're for them and you want to be with them and if there's anything you can do for them and then pray together. Don't wait. Go quickly, especially if you're hurt, if you're offended. No, I'm just going to wait. I'm just going to let it go. I'm going to ask my prayer group about it and then I'm going to work on it a little bit and then I'll go. No, go. Now, if that doesn't work, then you take one or two friends with you and all that means is you're like, okay, well, we can't settle this so we want to we wanna figure this out. Why, doesn't, why don't people do this? Do you know that people end up in court in the city because they can't do this? Hey, I brought my friend and a, and a couple, here's, we both have a mutual friend, uh, a couple other friends, and we're gonna, we need to talk this through because we can't afford to be divided. We can't afford to be separated. Are you guys with me? Yes. Maybe it's, is this too hard of a message? No. Okay, cool. If, you, if, if two or three friends, you can't work it out with some other people that give you context. By the way, most of the time the friends give context because the person who was hurt may be overly sensitive. You might, it's, it might be you that has the problem, not them. But the other friends will help see that and help bring clarity. If that doesn't work, you tell it to the leadership of the community. There's where you come to me. <laughs> We've tried to work it out. Try, and you go to somebody who's in authority with you and you try to work it out and you figure it out and you work on it. And if that doesn't work, you treat them like a person who needs repentance and love. The NIV says you treat them like a pagan and a tax collector. <laughs> That's what the NIV says. Tell me how Jesus treated pagans and tax collectors. Like friends. He, he sat with them, he ate with them. He stayed, he was, he was with them. He hung out with them. It didn't, mean, it didn't mean they broke relationship. He still loved them. 
Check out verse 18 through 20. It says, take this moment most seriously. A yes on earth is a yes in heaven. Oh, a no on earth is a no in heaven. What you say to one another is eternal. I mean this. When two of you get together on anything at all on earth and make a prayer of it, my Father in heaven goes into action. And when two or three of you are together because of me, you can be sure that I will be there. Praying together has power. I love Eugene Peterson's phrase. He said, what you say to one another has eternal implications. How much more is that true when we pray together? A yes on earth is a yes in heaven. A yes in heaven is a yes on earth. A no in heaven is a no on earth. We, we, we touch heaven and earth together in prayer. Agreement between us engages the action of our heavenly father. And the, and the apostle Paul he warned the church in Corinth that we just read from his letter in, in chapter 11. He said, when you come together for communion, he said, so my friends, when you come together to the Lord's table, be reverent and courteous with one another. If you're so hungry that you can't wait to be served, go home and get a sandwich. <laughs> but by no means risk turning this meal into an eating and drinking binge or a family squabble. It's a spiritual meal, a love Feast Today, I want to come to the Lord's table. So I just want you to reach forward and I want you to get one of those communion elements out of the back of the seat in front of you. If you're on the front row, you can get from the sides here. There's some right here. Right here, you guys, on the front. If you're in the front, you got to go get them on the side. I just want you to get that. Can you hand me one? Thank you. Now, I just want you to hold it. I don't want you to open it yet because we're going to worship for a moment. And, um, but I want, you to, I want you to think about what communion means. Communion means that you start to understand how much Jesus loves you because he gave his body and his blood for the forgiveness of our sins and for the healing of our souls. And once you really start to realize how generous he's been with you, it means you can be generous with others. Once you realize how profound he's been in his love for you, you can then offer that love to one another. And I'm going to ask you to pray together before you leave. Okay, but let's, let's worship together, and then we're going to take communion. I'm going to show you how to do it in just a second. But I just want you to stand with me and just hold it right where you are. Just hold it in your hand. And, you, and we're going to sing this song together. We're just going to worship. So, Lord, we come to this moment of communion. We start with you. Give us your, give us your grace, your love. Pour it out on us, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, that you came to us when we were divided from you, when we were separated from you. And you came to us and you made love the bridge that drew us to yourself. Help us to do that same thing. We come to you now. We prepare our hearts. We want you to forgive us. We want you to cleanse us. We want you to heal us. Have your way in us, Jesus. We thank you for this in your name.